I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. And here we go. Welcome to a brand new episode of Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection Podcast. It looks at the things that we loved when we were younger and asks the question, is this good? I'm David Luzader, and with me, as always, is Nick Shermooksness. Nick, hello. Hey, David. How's it going? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm, I'm doing pretty well myself. Happy to pop in here. Pop pop popper in here ah, why did was, i go for the joke was that too obvious that was too obvious was, i'm sorry uh, i mean i made it way too obvious so <laughs> it's on me we have got uh, a guest though as we usually do the guest that brings our topic to us before we get to that though uh, i don't mention this very much um i just want to mention it here at the top of the show because i know people sometimes skip out on the end i just want to say We've been getting a lot of great feedback from people on social media, emails, you know, reach out to us. Please keep doing that. But also, in addition, just take a minute and uh, go rate and review us in your podcatcher of choice because that helps more people find the show and we want more people to join us on this journey. That's all I'm going to say about that. Now is the time to bring in our guest. It is the host of the SSR podcast, a podcast that shares some DNA with our show, I would say. Uh, and for that, that's part of the reason we have her on here. It is Ali Hoff Kosick. Ali, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It was very hard not to get involved in the whole popping in Mr. Pepper Penguin's <laughs> joke, but I, I really resisted. So thank you so much for having me on. Did you ha do you have any like? Did you write any jokes down like just in case? Like if I gave you the opportunity, here's your chance. I mean, no pressure, obviously. Um, I don't know how I compete with the just popping in joke. So I'm just, I have a lot of jokes clearly saved up, but I'm just going <laughs> to save them because I don't, I don't want to make other people look bad. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, and I don't want to steal them personally. <laughs> I can be a stealer, I think. Yeah. We already have a lot in common with our podcasts. Do we really need to be telling the same jokes? I don't know. <laughs> well, just for people who might not be uh, used or know your podcast, uh, just real quick, what is the, the SSR podcast about? Sure. So we, we really do share a lot of DNA. Every week on the show, I invite a guest on to talk about a book um, that we would have read most likely in middle school or high school. And we take a look at not only if it's good, but also sort of um, kind of how it stands up to our more contemporary sensibilities. Um, we kind of look at things from a more progressive lens, typically. Um, it's a lot of fun. Sometimes it's really disappointing, as you both know all too well, I'm sure. Um, but I've learned a lot from it and it is, it's a treat most of the time to come back to these books that I loved when I was a kid. Sometimes it's a big letdown, but it is a journey for sure. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of DNA, but you leaned in heavily on the book part where I, I was like, I can't commit to reading that many books. <laughs> it's a lot. I'm not going to lie. I think it's weird. I, I don't think I realized when I conceived of the whole thing that this was going to mean I would have to read a book for every episode. It was weird. All of a sudden I had all these episodes booked and I was like, oh, I guess I have to read them. Um, and that's just kind of been going on for over two years now. So somehow I, I've, uh, I've kept up with it and it's a lot of fun. I'd love for any listeners who haven't listened to come on over and check it out. Yeah. You, awesome. you find the time. That's good. I try. A lot of yeah, them are I short, which helps. 
I think yes. when I saw that it was like 149 pages, I'm like, oh, that's like a two year project for me. But thankfully, <laughs> it's a kid's book. So I was lots actually of able, <laughs> lots of the pictures helped. Well, um, not- so I was able to successfully finish it in time. Spoilers. <laughs> no, no pictures in, in my version, but I'll complain about that when we get to our discussion. Uh, we're going to go ahead and just introduce our topic, though. We're talking around it a little bit. It is Mr. Popper's Penguins. This children's book follows Mr. Popper and his family as they find themselves the caretakers of a dozen penguins in Stillwater, Minnesota. Uh, That's a quick overview of it. This is the part of the show, though, where we just lay down real quick what is our personal histories with the topic. Ali, you brought this to us. What is your history with Mr. Popper's Penguins? What made you want to bring it to this show to talk about it? Well, I vaguely remember reading it when I was a kid. I remember liking it. I remember having a fairly uncomplicated relationship with it, um, which always sort of lays the groundwork for an interesting conversation. I I didn't have a lot of strong opinions coming into it. And I did reread it um, a few months ago from my podcast. So um, I sort of was a little more fired up after doing the research for that. And I was just kind of anxious to talk about it with two people who care about nostalgic things just as much as I do. Excellent. Nick, your history. I'm sure you have a long and storied history with Mr. Popper's Penguins. If I do, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I The book seemed familiar to me, but if I did read it as a kid, um, I, I must have forgotten. Um, so I went into this fresh. Uh, and I will say off the bat, though, like reading it did sort of give me like... Um, I don't really know what the right word is, but kind of like an energy. Like I, I had like this feeling like I was a kid reading kid books again. Like there was just a really interesting sensation I got while reading it that felt really familiar in terms of my younger self. So in that case, it was very pleasant. Isn't that weird? It's like a sense memory. Like I, I felt that way, but only about certain books. There's something about like the opening of the pages that feels different even than coming back to like a movie or something from your childhood. I, I start to like remember where I was when I was reading a book. It's a really like specific kind of weird time machine that that I think a lot of people get when they come back to these books. It is. And it's yeah, like, I, I, and it, it feels like it's a book that, or I mean, this book specifically, but it's like I, when I'm reading the words, like just the way that the, the book is written seems very specific and familiar to the way probably a lot of kids' books in that same age range were written as well. Totally. It reminds you of how people, adults more specifically, used to talk to you when you were a kid. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am like Nick with this book. I, don't think I have any history with it. I don't think I ever read it. Um, I, really, if you had asked me what my earliest memory of Mr. Popper's Penguins is, it's I saw a poster with Jim Carrey and a bunch of penguins mm-hmm. on it about nine years ago. Um, haven't seen the movie after reading the Wikipedia entry. Have no interest in, in seeing the movie. <laughs> uh, but this was, you know, it's, it's a book. So this is our first book. I, I want to say that. Uh, and I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion because kind of the premise of this podcast is a little bit like we remember the things of the past far too fondly. And so let's bring it on this show and talk about why the animation for Beast Wars makes it really difficult to watch. Books are different because I don't think people are sitting around in their 30s being like, you know what I want to do today? I want to read Mr. Popper's Penguins. So I'm excited to, to dig in. I'm glad, Allie, that you have a long history of sort of doing this very thing. Uh, So at least somebody here knows what they're doing. Yes, I'll be your spirit guide. I'm very familiar (laughs) with this process. Well, thank you. 
But uh, before we get into our discussion, Nick, real quick, can you tell us the world's history with Mr. Popper's Penguins? The world. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Richard Atwater was an American author and classics professor at the University of Chicago. Just before suffering a stroke in 1934, he finished a manuscript for a story called Orc, the story of Mr. Popper's Penguins, inspired by a documentary of Richard E. Byrd's Antarctic Expedition. Florence Atwater, Richard's wife, submitted the original manuscript blah, manuscript to publishers, but no one was interested. She rewrote parts of it, and the revised story was accepted by Little Brown and published in 1938. Over the years, Mr. Popper's Penguins has won several awards, been translated into many languages, and has never gone out of print. A film inspired by the book starring Jim Carrey was made in 2011. I didn't look up what year this took place in, or I, I don't think it really says. Um, I had really had kind of had no idea. And at times I was very confused because nobody knew what a penguin was that would see, like they thought it was that, you know, they, one person thought it was a pelican. I think people were just always very confused by what they were. But then some of the things they were talking about, like electric heating pads, I was like, that feels weirdly modern. And then I realized, I don't know when things were invented. Uh, so it was a, fun little ride for me to try to figure out what time period this all took place in. Yeah, the, the setting future. is interesting, both the time period. I mean, for me, the world feels very much like the world of um, the old Mary Poppins movie, like that sort mm. of the time period in which I was picturing it all happening. And um, to your point about nobody knowing what a penguin is, that is an interesting aspect. And I was kind of stuck on that as well. Um, and then it occurred to me that if you're living in an isolated place in the Midwest, like these people are, and maybe you've never seen a picture like maybe you would think it was a pelican but i too was like this seems a little convenient for the authors to have decided that just nobody here would have ever seen a penguin um maybe not as far-fetched as i originally thought that's a good point <laughs> yeah I'm not, I'm not sure how populous still water was in the 1930s um and i refuse to find out so <laughs> we'll we'll just never know um uh, I, there's all right before we talk about the, the total irresponsibility of uh, curators and Antarctic explorers and their mailing habits. Uh, let's talk a little bit about just the character of Mr. Popper, because he's a very interesting character, uh, fairly charming, but also, um, I don't know, we'll, 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 we'll get everybody's thoughts on it, but I just want to uh, test the water what everybody thought of the, of the character of Mr. Popper, this very aloof, uh, a man who is obviously good at his job. He's a house decorator. Um, but then doesn't really know what to do with his time when he's not doing that and uh, obsesses over Antarctic exploration. What did, what did uh, Ali, since uh, you're our guest, what did you think of the character of Mr. Popper? Well, Mr. Popper hit sort of an interesting chord right now, I think, because when we meet him, his sort of like main working season is slowing down. I guess at this point in history, people only got their houses painted or wallpapered in one or two seasons of the year. And so um, when the book begins, he's like sort of preparing for this yearly sabbatical that he just like doesn't have any work to do. And he's going to be sitting around at home. Sort of the implication is that he's going to be driving his wife crazy and not being helpful. Um, and I just think right now with everybody working from home or so many people at least working from home, so many people working out new dynamics with partners or children or families or roommates who are also on top of each other, like all working from home. Um, I thought that it was sort of timely in some ways that these two people are trying to anticipate what it's going to be like to 
be in the same space all the time. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about Mrs. Popper that I hope we'll cover because she's a whole other story. But um, my first impression of Mr. Popper is that he's actually a lot more relatable right now than I think he might be if we weren't all in the middle of a global of a global pandemic that was forcing us to stay home. Um, So that was kind of an interesting thing. I mean, I think that to me as an as an adult, he seems, as you mentioned, really aloof. He doesn't seem especially interested in his family. He has two kids. Um, but I think that as a kid, I, I probably would have been very taken with his sort of like dreaminess. Like he's just so obsessed with the Arctic. As you mentioned, he wants to be an explorer. He wants to get out of his small town. Um, and he just feels very stuck. So I think that that does appeal to kids. But it is sort of weird to me as like an adult to be like, this is a very specific fixation that he has on exploring the Arctic and more specifically penguins. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say it sort of piggybacking off of that to me, Mr. Popper was like, he's like the original man child, Mm. you know, like I can, I guess regardless of the time period, even though I know that like social norms were different back then. And I think I'm going to drag Mrs. Popper back into the limelight in a second, but like, I can understand if like, you know, division of labor and the family, like if he's out all day doing the work, then I can understand if maybe there's some discussion around like Mrs. Popper, if she's staying home, she keep an eye on the kids, tidy up here or there. But the fact that there's like a whole season where he doesn't do anything, it's it's not it's sort of like, well, Mrs. Popper is works full time and presumably continues to work full time, cleaning up the house, taking care of the kids during the off season. And at that point it's like, well, Miss I'm, I'm done with, with my work. So I'm just going to kick back and learn about penguins the rest of the time. And I, I agree, Allie, in terms of the, I didn't really think about that connection to current events um, with like quarantines and stuff. Um, and I actually, I really like that point of view, but just as like a person, I, I felt like I, immediately distance myself from Mr. Popper because I can definitely appreciate the dreaminess, but not necessarily at the expense of basically letting his family figure everything out for him. Yeah, yeah I agree. Well, and it puts Mrs. Popper in a position to to serve this sort of role of that put upon wife trope, which I think is so old school and just does not read in a way that we recognize or appreciate now. Um, and it's tired and boring and it kind of sets her up to be the villain in some ways, which maybe we'll talk about more, but um, yeah, I echo that. And um, it just sort of set them up in this very weird, uncomfortable dynamic. Yeah. Nick, you mentioned the man child thing, and that is a, a thing that you and I talk about a lot in, because uh, we, we like comic books. That is not a, a, a hidden fact. Uh, we enjoy Marvel. We enjoy the MCU. But one thing that we note in our conversations is so many of the MCU characters are these man children that right. uh, will then have the, the girlfriend slash mother that is the responsible one and is like always cleaning up their messes, sometimes very literally. They're the responsible ones. It's very annoying. And then uh, the thing that tends to happen is that that, you know, you have the comics, which were initially these separate characters. Uh, I remember it happening to, to Scott Lang, where Scott Lang as a character was very different than his on-screen counterpart. But then once the Ant-Man movie came out, they totally just made his personality into sort of an irresponsible man-child. Same thing happened to uh, to Peter Quill of Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. And it's it's frustrating to see. Um and like definitely relates to this. I, I let's switch gears over to Mrs. Popper because I feel just a real touch of a man in this writing here where, okay, what is a woman's interests? They are cleaning the house. 
full stop. Mm-hmm. Not a great look. Right. It's almost as if that encompasses her personality. Like yes. being clean is her personality, which it's not. And and I I do think that there's an argument to be made that in children's literature, most or at least, you know, this is this isn't meant for young adults. Like that's an important distinction too. This isn't a YA book in the way that we might think of it now in 2020. This is really meant to maybe be read aloud to younger children or read by children probably in like sixth, seventh grade. Um, so I do think that, you know, there is this tendency on the part of authors of these kinds of books to really simplify characters, especially in in older books. I do think now um, kids authors are giving young readers a little bit more credit for like the nuances that they can pick up. But I think there's an argument to be made that in in pretty much any book you would read for kids from this era, the characters are going to feel pretty simplistic. That being said, um, I, as a woman, am certainly not thrilled to see that the uh, that the way that the authors tried to simplify this particular character is to just make her whole personality type like loves to clean. Like I am a person who loves to clean. That's it's just so problematic for me <laughs> and for everyone, I think. But it's 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 hard to read. Right. Yeah. And it's never like Mr. Popper, get off your ass. It's right. uh, Mr. Popper, like oh, having a man around the house is such a nuisance. Well, I guess the penguins will keep you busy. Not why the frick do we have penguins hanging out in a house now, buddy? Uh, okay, we'll keep them. Uh, I'll it'll keep you busy. So I'll tidy up around you or something. I was like, what? Mrs. Popper, come on, some self-respect. Yeah, well, because I, I, you know, for me from like, I can take this feminist perspective on it and, and say that this is an unfair portrayal for her. But to your point, like it doesn't, it's not really a great look for Mr. Popper either. It, it's this very binary relationship where she is difficult and he is sort of emasculated in a very like heteronormative way. Um, and it, it should, there's, there's room for a lot more nuance there where they both, um, can have a little bit more depth to them where he doesn't have to look like such a loser and she doesn't have to seem like such a tyrant around the house. Yeah. He's, he's messy in the loop. You know, we, we get a really clear picture, even though it's very simplistic, we get a pretty clear picture of his personality, Mm -hmm. uh, where there's no service done to her to give her any personality beyond what we discussed. And that's just really disappointing because even if her you know, if even if her interests are things that are considered more, uh, you know, housewife, motherly, like we don't get into the the why or wherefore. If she like loves baking, why does you know? You can tell us why we we learn why he loves the Antarctic, Antarctic, blah blah blah, uh, the Antarctic explorations. But we never learn anything about what she enjoys. Really, kind of the most that we get an expansion on our characters that she used to play the piano and now does again. But again, we have no idea like what all her feelings are on that. And there's a, a, a joke at the end that um, when <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss the ending more later, but when Mr. Popper is like, I'm leaving for two years, peace. Uh, her response is like, Oh, well, okay. It'll be easier to keep the house clean with you gone, mm-hmm. which could have been, Actually, a decent joke if her character was more than just like, it just, okay, she likes to clean. She's happy her husband's gone because now the house will be clean. Typical women. Right. Well, and we talk about this a lot on my show too because this unfortunately comes up in a lot of older books, this very traditional view of women's roles versus men's roles. And as I've said again and again on my show, I'm not here to criticize any woman who loves to keep a house or clean or cook, 
Um, I think what what I think we would all like to see is more about why Mrs. Popper enjoys those things. Like give us a little bit more depth to even what recipes she likes to make or what she loves to do with her children, like why it makes her feel so fulfilled to be at home. And yeah, we're looking for a lot in a short book, but I think that it's just important to make the, to make that, to make that very clear that no, you know, we're not here to criticize the fact that she would want to do those things. Um, Of course, it's all about, you know, having the opportunity to choose, but based on her level of misery, I don't know that this is what she would choose either. Like she doesn't really seem to be that happy to be cooking and cleaning. Right. Yeah. Which is why all these themes and more get explored in the sequel book called Mrs. Popper's Revenge. <laughs> I will be first online to pre-order that one. Uh, all right, Nick, you have a test. It's, it's not, unfortunately not a kid's book. You know, it's very, mm. uh, it's very gory. It's dark. Um, it's very dark. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Allie. We, we've discussed Mama and Papa, Poppers, they refer to one another uh, quite a bit, but we haven't even once discussed the Penguins, uh, which I, they also have children who I will, uh, I will summarize the children's role in this book as present. Um, <laughs> Props. Yeah, they, they are there. But <laughs> the whole thing of this book is that uh, Mr. Popper gets some penguins, and... It is absurd. It is absurd the way he gets these penguins. He writes a letter to um, to Admiral Drake and just saying, like, I enjoy your broadcast and I like penguins. And Admiral Drake's response is, cool, here's a penguin I'm going to send to you in the mail. And uh, a little bit later, this penguin's not feeling so great. So he uh, writes to, I, I, don't, I don't remember who uh, the other person is, but he writes and is like, our penguin's not doing too well. And that person's like, our penguin's not doing too well either. We think they're lonely, so we're mailing them to you. I know it's a kid's book. I know like absurd thoughts, <laughs> but still, come on. I think that might be my favorite ridiculous moment of the book. It's like, not not only is this penguin being shipped to Mr. Popper to begin with, but then when Mr. Popper is really, he's like asking for help. He's like, look, curator of this aquarium, I don't really know what to do about this penguin. I'm admitting that. Like I'm I'm really in way over my head here. Do you have any suggestions? I think my penguin might be dying. You're an expert. Like, come on, give me some help. And the curator is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to send you another penguin. And yeah. <laughs> like, really, that's not what we needed. We needed you to take the penguin, sir, ma'am. Uh, could you just take this penguin and actually like bring it back to life? Clearly the poppers are not qualified here. No, no. Well, I mean, he, you know, he knows a little bit about, about penguin culture. Mm -hmm. And that was what surprised me was that he, he, he professes to know all this stuff and to be such a quote unquote armchair expert or whatever. But then when it actually came, came to raising the penguin, which I can realize that you can know a lot about stuff. And then when you go to like, say, you know, fix something in your car engine, like you might fall short. But um, the fact that he kind of ran up, ran up against these problems that he presumably would at least know the basic answer for, I thought was surprising. Yeah. And this, um, this we're talking about him getting the penguin here also leads to kind of a bigger topic, which again, um, I don't want to say this throughout the whole show where, you know, it's, it's a kid's book. So we're going to treat it a little bit different than we will like a, a, a novel that we might read now in our adult lives. But as quickly as any problem is brought up in the story, it is just moments later solved. Right. That's true. There's a lot of conveniences that sort of crop up throughout the plot where 
sort of just things fall into place, as you mentioned, and there's a lot of fast solutions. Which yeah. I think is typical of kids' books, right? But I just was interested in how it's like Captain Cook is like basically dying. And I'm like, well, I mean, this is not going where I thought it was. And then when they veer into the whole Greta thing, I'm like, well, I mean, crisis averted, but that's kind of weird. Uh, or later on in the book, not to jump too far ahead, there's a whole like a whole sequence where like the, the he goes to the wrong theater with the penguins and there's like a seal show going on. And then the penguins and the seals apparently all go you know, leave and they can't find them or they get locked in the room. I can't remember the exact details. And it's all like, well, I hope you have insurance on those penguins, buddy, because my seals are going to eat them. And it's like, oh my gosh, like there's not going to be any penguins left. And then it's just like, no, they're like having a West Side Story dance off or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, the penguins are, the seals, I think it was described as the seals are in the center and the penguins are marching around them. Yeah. And when the, when the firefighters and policemen come, they do nothing to mitigate the situation, but uh, put their hats on respective sides, <laughs> which might actually be my favorite part of the whole thing. Well, isn't that what you would do? I mean, if you were representing the law and you were called in to uh, mediate a seal penguin standoff <laughs> at a theater, wouldn't I mean, that would probably be like one of the first things that I would do. Maybe. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this this book also does a thing that I, I would criticize other things very heavily for um, like like if this was written, you know, towards a more adult audience, which is he gets a penguin and goes to several people and is like, what should I do about like getting a license? What should I do about this? Blah, blah, blah. And everyone's response is like, well, I don't, I don't know. We don't have any laws about penguins. So um, whatever you think is best, bud. <laughs> Golder shrug. Did we mention that he was also wearing his wedding suit while this is happening? That's oh. my favorite part of that scene is how he, he puts on his wedding suit to go prance around town to City Hall with the penguins to find out if they need to be licensed. You can tell Mrs. Popper is like pissed. Like right. she's like, you do not get out of sweatpants around this house for me. And <laughs> here you are, you're going to wear a suit from our wedding to go on like a date with these penguins. And he's like, yeah, so I can look like a penguin. That made me so infuriated for her. Um, And really just, it really doesn't do him any favors. No, Mr. Popper really is the villain of this piece. If there is a a villain in this story. Yeah. At the very least, he's like a really bad husband. (laughs) Definitely. Well, that's, that's interesting that you mentioned that because Allie mentioned earlier that, um, that, that Mrs. Popper is kind of set up as the antagonist because she's the finger wagging, like, you shouldn't do that, uh, where really he is the one who is taking penguins out of their natural environment, floods their house, <laughs> <laughs> floods their house and opens up the windows in the middle of a blizzard. And is just like, ah, uh, hey, human family, just wear some coats to sleep. Right. You'll be fine. And it's also straightforward. It's just, and, and, and Mrs. Popper is always just like, okay, well, I guess we'll go along with it. And it's also funny because like prior to getting the penguin, she was basically like hard no on like getting pets or like she was very much like we're going into the off season. We're not going to have any money. Enjoy eating beans. And then it's like the penguin shows up and she's just like, oh, okay, whatever. Oh, you want me to wear a coat? I'll wear a coat. You want me to go tap dance around the country? I'll go tap dance around or play the piano or whatever. Like, um, yeah, it it was frustrating. Yeah. I mean, he's spending all their money. Like he, Oh, that too. Yeah. Yeah. 
And she's she's mad about it, as she should be. And it's interesting to me, too, that there is this somewhat heavy focus on finances and, like, household expenses in a book intended for children. And, again, this is written in the late 30s, so I wonder if that gives it some context in terms of, like, what was happening in the U.S. around that time um, and people just being concerned about money. And maybe the author is thinking that that was something that kids would be more used to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're – we're very close to the point in this book where we're going to get to see, um, like, I don't know, some sort of mock-up of their of the house's, like, books, like, where we see kind of what they're spending and how much is coming in. Like, we're not that far from that in this book. Right. Yeah. I, I would actually probably venture, because this was uh, just a few years after the Great Depression. Right. That there was probably still a little bit of a, a focus on that. And it's important for, for children of the time to figure out whether it's more important to put gas in their vehicle or feed their penguins. So that's something we're all dealing with. It's very yeah, well, timely. It's very it's it's not universally their, relevant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not gas in their vehicles. It's gas. It's uh, food in their children. <laughs> also, yeah, food. food you know, I, I don't Apparently, all I think about is putting gas in my car. So just go with it. They just want some canned beans. That's all that the kids are asking for. And it seems as though that might not even be doable based on Mr. Popper's irresponsible financial behavior. Right. Did you want you want beans? Well, the, the penguins need shrimp and you also <laughs> apparently can't have any. Right. Do you want me to have to send the penguins away? Wouldn't that be terrible? You would kill these penguins if we had to send them to somewhere that's <laughs> more acclimated to their lifestyle. Right. Because uh, the solution is just to stick them in a basement. Uh, they talk about the the icebox. They like we'll drill holes in the icebox. And me here as a thirty one year old is just thinking like your utility bill is going to go through the roof. <laughs> it's going to ruin that refrigerator. It's true. Also, yeah, that I think you kind of touched on a little bit ago, David, when you were talking about. Um, when he was like trying to get the the permit for the penguin or whatever. And just like, he has all these conversations where he's getting like frustrated with people, but not like clearly, I mean the penguin. Okay. With the, with the, the permit thing, I guess he was pretty clear, but like with the icebox guy, like he wasn't particularly clear and he was getting like flustered and frustrated with these people that weren't like immediately acquiescing to his demands. Yeah. Cause he's used to everyone in his life catering to him. And he's like, I got this penguin, make it happen. Here's a question that I hadn't considered. What do you think Mr. Popper's sort of like social status in the town is? Because at first I'm thinking, okay, he paints everybody's houses. He's probably fairly well respected. But now I'm like, I don't, maybe everybody thinks he was a weirdo even before the penguins. Like are people just kind of, they don't really want to hear him explain about the penguins. How do we think people even approach him? What's his reputation? He's kind of the trope of white man failing up Mm. because even in, even at the beginning of the book, he talks about how like he's so absent minded and he painted someone's kitchen or whatever the wrong color. But instead of them being upset, like you didn't do what, you know, we requested. It's like, actually, you know what? I like it. Thank you. Great job. And then everyone else wanted the same color or whatever. Like everything works out for Mr. Popper, even when it shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I'm looking over the first chapter now. It's just, he's described as a dreamer. And like Nick said, at one point he messed up something in someone's house because he was daydreaming and they liked it so much that it created this whole trend. Uh, yeah, I think he's because the way they also talk about finances and stuff, it seems like they their position in town is like, uh, I guess, lower status. I was trying to think of the best about it. That's kind of the best way to, to phrase it is. I, I think uh, they're working class, but not necessarily yeah. disrespected. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. Let's talk about just a little bit more as the, the penguins, you know, they, well, real, real quick, I'm looking at our show notes here. Nick, you mentioned something before we start talking about the touring of the penguins, which good Lord, uh, you mentioned that captain cook is the name of the first penguin that arrives. And the author, uh, talks about him making a nest and decides to list out a bunch of the items. I'm not going to read the entire list cause it's actually fairly exhaustive. Uh, but I do want to real quick, just list some of the things. There were tool spools of thread, one white chess bishop, and six parts of a, of a jigsaw puzzle, a teaspoon and a closed box of safety matches, a radish, two pennies, a nickel and a golf ball, two pencil stubs, one bent playing card and a small ashtray, five hairpins, an olive, two dominoes and a sock, a nail file, four buttons of various sizes, a telephone slug, seven marbles, and a tiny, a tiny doll's chair, five checker pieces, a bit of graham cracker, etc., etc. This goes on for a little bit longer. These are very specific things. Why do you think they got so specific with this? Is it just because sort of this was at the part where Mrs. Popper was talking about how messy the house is, and it's like, look at all these things? So uh, I, to be fair, when I when I had the thought, it was really just kind of like random, I don't know, shower thought, I so to speak. Like it, they, Ultimately, they just listed a bunch of random items but I was trying to like put myself in the author's shoe and just shoes. Maybe they only wear one. I don't know. Um, and just think like, uh, okay, like I'm sitting down to write this book and like, I want to describe how like this, this rookery or nest or whatever is made. And then like, I just, I want to be the fly on the wall as they're like crawling around on their floor, looking yes. for whatever random stuff is stuck in their couch or chair or under whatever under the bed and just being like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. They can, penguin can reach that. Like just, in my mind, it was just like a funny thought of like, what, why, why did they need to feel the need to list all this stuff specifically? I loved that stuff when I was a kid and I don't know why, but it's funny because every time I read a passage like that in any of the books that I that I come back to or read for the first time sometimes for the podcast, that's when I have that kind of like weird sense memory thing that we were talking about before um, where I'm like, oh, I remember what it was like to read when I was a kid. Um, I think it's, it's a thing that was used fairly frequently, especially I think um, – really early in the 20th century and even later on, like in the books that came out more when we were kids, it sounds like we're about the same age. Um, and if you read a lot of the books that were maybe assigned to us in school in the 90s or early aughts, like that comes up. And I, and I don't know, I don't know if maybe I'm not a weird kid who just like really enjoyed reading those kinds of lists and like to think of the visual of all of it. Um, I don't, I don't know why. I just, every time I read something like that as an adult, it just gives me warm, fuzzy feelings. So I can only assume that that's a thing that other kids think is cool too. I think you're onto something with like the visual of it. Cause mm -hmm. I think it is, you know, specificity is the soul of wit. So I think, uh, you know, authors often know children are a lot smarter than people give them credit for. So as they're writing this list of very specific things, they know like these are things kids would know around their house. These are the things that a lot of kids themselves probably have around their house. And they're, some of it gets super specific. It's not just like a handful of marbles. It's seven marbles. It is these very, but that also paints a very vivid picture, uh, yeah. which I think is pretty, uh, it's pretty well done. It's also a very specific kind of world building. Um, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know comic books, especially well. I don't know the Marvel universe very well, but um, you know, you think about a property like that and the amount of world building that goes into it. Obviously it's something much more fantastical 
it really doesn't resemble our own world at all. And while there are elements of Mr. Popper's world, aka bringing penguins to live in your home with you, that are bizarre and sort of hard to believe, in general, it's a sort of familiar domestic environment. And so I think sometimes in these sort of like domestic stories that were once just like in some ways contemporary kid fiction, um, these like long specific lists of items can sometimes build out the world in a way that maybe fantasy or sci-fi authors um, can do in other ways. I think it grounds it a lot too with that whole, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, these are the things that are, that are in your world as well. What I I now it's just a joke, but now I see uh, Mrs. Popper is like Arya from Game of Thrones, where she has like her list. So now I'm just thinking that like, you know, as she goes to get her revenge, she's just listing off two spools of thread, one white chest bishop, da da da. Like this is the mess I had to deal I expect with. Expect this manuscript though. That's the thing. Like, I need you to write the book. I'm I'm making a note to myself right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you. I'm sure you have plenty of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we need some Mr. Popper's Penguins wow. fanfic. <laughs> I wonder if that exists. Like, really? <laughs> you never least. know, really. It, anything is possible. That's and true. I'm not going to encourage anybody to Google that. Let's <laughs> talk about the what ends up happening with the Penguins, which they uh, Greta and Captain Cook uh, get it on, and she lays 10 eggs, and they suddenly have 12 Penguins, and they realize, uh, hey, we can train these animals and put them on stage and make some money off of it. And they go to a, a, a man who owns a lot of theaters. And that man's response is this show is great. So let's tour it around the country. And the show is penguins marching and then two penguins slap fighting each other. And then some penguins sliding down uh, some pieces of wood leaned up on ladders. I guess what I'm getting at is the 1930s sound incredibly boring. And I just want to point out that you you described what the penguin act is. And there's a line where they're talking, they're talking with Mr. Greenbaum, the the theater owner about what to call the show. And he says, couldn't we call them poppers, pink toed penguins. And then Mr. Popper thought for a moment. He said, no, he said, I'm afraid we couldn't. That sounds too much like chorus girls or ballet dancers. And these birds are pretty serious. I don't (laughs) think they'd like it. Like, like, I mean, okay. Besides the fact that that's super sexist, like why can't chorus girls or ballet dancers be considered serious for starters? But also if your, your whole act is them walking up ladders like how is that serious right and also two other details that i think are worth noting about how this whole deal goes down first of all they're offered a 10-week contract at five thousand dollars a week in 1938 that's a lot of money i mean it's a lot of money now say in today's dollars yeah i mean i would take that for yes absolutely and then the other thing i wanted to call out is that the name of this you know rich sort of this rich theater owner who's doing all the negotiating is Mr. Greenbaum, um, which is likely a Jewish name. Um, and I think that this is indicative of something that we saw a lot in pop culture from the first half of the 20th century, especially um, when often Jewish characters were portrayed as um, money hungry and uh, sort of in a particular light mm-hmm. with respect to the way they do business. So wanted to make sure I called that out. 
to be fair, and it's also that when because they as they're doing the tour, they also start to talk about how like all the expenses for like staying at the hotels or paying for the food for the penguins while they're on tour all came out of that five thousand dollars that they were right. getting a week. So there wasn't even any actual support for the show itself. Just we're going to pay you this money and you have to figure the rest out. Yeah, he's not an honest businessman, which you you can pick up on those kinds of clues. I think in a lot of books and other. Um, pop culture too, but especially in books where often all that you get is the name of this kind of a character. Um, more than more often than not, in this era, there were sort of hints or subtle subtle nods to the fact that a character who was engaging in somewhat dishonest business practices for the benefit of their own finances uh, was Jewish. So definitely worth noting as something that would not and should not fly. Certainly not in twenty twenty. Yeah, that's this is why we have you on here, Ali. You have that, you have that bent that uh, Nick and I would. I I that had not occurred to me, but now that you mentioned that, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's clearly he's the only character that seems to have that sort of a name in this book. So to me, it just feels oddly specific. Mm. Yeah, that, and obviously this was the 1930s. It was a much different time, but there's no way that anything like this could could even conceivably happen in the modern era without people turning around and calling animal cruelty, uh, which this book is. Let's yeah. let's be clear on that. Uh, in- but they but they go to great pains to tell you that the penguins seem totally into what's going on. These penguins are are hyper intelligent empaths. <laughs> they're amazing creatures, but they're not real penguins. Nick, I need you to understand this is not what penguins are like. They're not. No, is this is this all the knowledge you have of penguins comes off of having read this? Book? I hadn't even heard of penguins before this book, so color me shocked. He thought they were pelicans. Uh, I did. I just I, all I could picture was pelicans. So when I saw like that first picture, I was like, "This isn't a pelican, penguin can whatever penguin can't." Um, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, but what if like what if you had heard like there's a traveling penguin show that's like let's say let's say in a modern context. Somehow this is totally cool. The penguins are super well taken care of. You hear there's a traveling penguin show. How how do you think that would fare in like in, in the age of like Instagram and TikTok that we live in now? I think actually people would go to see it. I do too. There'd be so many photo ops. I mean, even in the book, there are these scenes of the penguins parading through cities as they're traveling. And that made me think about like people would go nuts. There'd be so much so many live feeds off of random Instagram accounts. These penguins, these penguins would be everywhere. And I think it's also worth noting that these penguins, there's SpawnCon going on. They're sponsored by a shrimp company. Oh, yeah. So this is like the earliest. This could <laughs> potentially be the invention of SpawnCon, Mr. Popper's penguins. I don't think anybody else has identified this before. You all heard it here first. <laughs> They are sponsored by 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 a shrimp company, and if this were happening now, they could really, they wow, they could really leverage that on their Instagram account. Right, and I feel like it, it. So I agree that they would be they would be viral, as the kids like to say these days, uh, in in the modern age. But I don't know if really they would have been if they would have been the proper um, like stage show that they are in the book. Because I agree that like if you're marching down like the streets, people are going to be taking selfies with them and there'll be like tons of Instagram posts and like what is Dwight? No, whatever. Captain. I can't remember the kids names. Captain Cook, you know, what did he have for breakfast today? Like hashtag cook, cook me breakfast. Okay, I can't. <laughs> I'm not good with social media. Apparently. 
Um, and, uh, but I, I, but I can't see like the way the show is described that people would like go and hang out at a a theater to watch it. Like I I was in in the back of my mind, I was thinking like how popular are circuses today? And I think people still go to circuses, but like the overall presentation of circuses to my understanding are just like so much different than they were say a hundred years ago. Yeah. So the idea that people would just go to show this penguins, maybe if they were part of like a, a bigger thing or they were like an opening act at a festival or something, but just to see them, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think our standards for entertainment are way higher now. That's a great point. I think, uh, especially kids, the youths, as you might call them, um, have been sort of desensitized to a lot of this stuff. I mean, you you can see penguins doing all of these things on YouTube for free, I'm sure. So it would need to be a little bit more sensational in order for people to actually want to go see them. And if this got any more sensational, then it would be straight up inhumane. I mean, we're already there probably with what's going on in the book as it is. Um, so yeah, I, I think that in 1938, I can see kids reading this and being like, wow, this is so cool. I mean, it seems like some people don't even know what a penguin is, but now I think it would be a harder sell as it is on the page. And then you would see the uh, Netflix documentary called Penguin King, Murder, Mayhem, <laughs> and Madness and, and learn all about it. Exactly. And then whoever is potentially out to get the penguins could go on Dancing with the Stars the following year. It would be a whole thing. <laughs> oh, relevant and timely content here from the Nostalgia Reflection Podcast. Uh, I think you're right, Allie, that it would be much more of that Instagram experience, uh, which gave me the really depressing thought that these penguins, because penguins are wild animals. Um, if you see one in the wild, if you're in a situation where you're in the natural habitat of a penguin for whatever, <laughs> yeah, don't like just straight up approach them because they're still wild animals, which means they'd probably be sedated. And that depresses me greatly. So it, it is pretty depressing. So just sort of uh, as, as we're getting in time here, getting towards the end of the book, I did want to talk about sort of their, um, the arrival of Admiral Drake in the climax and sort of the, the ultimate result or, or fate of the penguins. Um, and one, one thing initially though, that, that, that stuck out to me was, uh, when Admiral Drake, uh, so basically there, there becomes a conflict where Mr. Popper is, gets to choose between either doing like a, a series of penguin movies, uh, or sending them with Admiral Drake to the North pole. Now, mind you, the book also makes, it painstakingly clear that there aren't penguins in the North Pole, but Admiral Drake thinks that it's important to bring it. In this case, I, I don't know if invasive species is the right word, but certainly a foreign species of animal to another region of the world that it wasn't technically meant to be a part of, or at least hasn't been for a very long time, uh, and just let them roam wild. Yep. Like the, the, it was very much this like colonial minded, you know, just sort of like we're in control of nature, man superiority. Uh, if we want to put penguins in the Arctic, we will. Well, also the idea that the humans, I think there are explorers there, at least according to him, who are lonely. And so they they should have the same amount of joy that Mr. Popper has from having the penguins around. Yeah, that- And people in the South Pole, like apparently the only thing that's going to make these uh, North Pole uh, explorers happy is to have a, a team of penguins. That's the entire reason that he wants to bring penguins to the North Pole. And it's even brought up by one of the children in one of the only moments that are like, hey, we're here too. Uh won't polar bears eat these? And Drake's response is, these penguins are far too clever to be eaten by polar bears. And it's like, nah, man, they're not. They know how to march to music. 
and <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> right. I don't see how that would how that would make them uh, equipped to handle one of nature's deadliest predators. Right. Well, what do you think about the fact that it's clear that they're trying to frame Mr. Popper up as the hero because I'll use your phrase, pain, it, it's made painstakingly clear that he is making the more ethical choice by sending them to the North Pole um, to be pawns in this colonialism war, really, with humans Colonialist penguin agenda. Colonialist penguin agenda um, instead of sending them to Hollywood. Like, it's, it's really heavy-handed in these last few pages that Mr. Popper is doing the capital R right thing. Um, by making this choice, which is its sort of position to be unselfish. Uh, they lay it on pretty thick. Yeah. And then it ends up, uh, it, but then we see how selfish he really is at the end. Oh, yeah. As, oh, my gosh. As they're loading up the crates to like leave, and he goes and says bye to the penguins, Drake is like, oh, you're not coming with us? I didn't mention this to you before, but we were planning on you coming. Uh, we're leaving right now. Uh, Popper turns to his wife and is like, is it cool if I leave for two years? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. She's like, I'll get to hang out with my friends more. Right. <laughs> I guess that it won't be as hard to clean the house if there isn't a man underfoot. Right. She's like, phew. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Maybe just don't come back. Right. I think she'd be fine if he didn't. Honestly, probably. They, they need marriage counseling, I mm, think. Mm-hmm. Maybe the penguins I'll, could do it. They could facilitate. I mean, they're so clever, right? If they can avoid a polar bear attack, they can also offer, you know, medical, mental health services. Agreed. Yeah. They're, uh, they're apparently amazing creatures, these. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm expecting now. They, they have these depressed Arctic explorers that need penguins for company. So they're just going to go up there and you're going to have a guy in like a Parker or whatever sitting on a couch on a tundra, you know, as a penguin with glasses is like leafing ork, through ork, ork. his notes or her notes. Ork, ork, ork. Ork, ork, ork. Uh, you're right. <laughs> I, I, I need to call her. I, I don't know why I let her slip through my fingers. Uh, also, Captain Cook is identified as male only because his name is Captain Cook. Yeah. Right. And it works out, I guess, because they had babies. So, but it was, I did like stop at that line. I was like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. come on, 1930s. We're, we're going to wrap up our final thoughts here in a minute. But before we get to that, uh, this book wouldn't be published today, right? I, I feel like, or if it was, it would have a, a lot of controversy surrounding it. Yeah. I mean, when I was doing sort of my usual round of research after reading the book, I was shocked to find that there, I mean, I didn't even find one sort of like, irate essay or think piece talking about how problematic it is on a revisit like I really couldn't believe how squeaky clean at least the first few pages of the Google search results on Mr. Popper's penguins were Mm -hmm. um I think that it, it would be a real stretch for it to be published today I can see it almost being aged down like I think it could be a really sweet picture book if you eliminate a lot of these extra um extra storylines and kind of like strip it down a bit but I think I think they go a little too far in maybe too many directions now um, for it to be for it to be uh, satisfactory to a book publisher or an editor. I think there would probably be a lot of changes. But I, I will note. I mean, you mentioned that it's won a lot of awards. It won an, it won a Newbery Honor, which is um, it's really like the top of the top in terms of of kids of kid lit. It didn't win the Newbery Medal every year. There's one Newbery Medal winner, and then there's a group of Newbery Honor books. And so this was in sort of that like second tier group. So in 1939, this was like the best of the best. 
but I do, I do agree that it would be a real challenge in 2020. Yeah. And I don't want to like sit here and be like, wow, this, this book is, you know, absolute garbage penguins rights, all that blah, blah. I mean, it's a fantastical weird story that obviously would not happen in real life, but if it were published today, it would definitely have a lot more scrutiny or like these people being like, we should, you know, make sure we're teaching our kids not to <laughs> write to Antarctic explorers asking for penguins. <laughs> totally. Uh, but I, I, I was similarly surprised in doing research for this where there wasn't even like, yeah, there was the, like, not even like pedo was like, ah, don't let your kids read this. It just, everybody's kind of accepted. Like, yeah, this book's yeah. out there. Which Poppers stayed off their radar, I guess. Until now. <laughs> <laughs> but this uh the, so this kind of helps how i want to phrase the question usually we ask like is this worth visiting today which it's a kid's book so you know if you if you're taking time to read literature meant for children then you know whatever uh i don't know why i phrased it that way that felt really condescending and i feel really <laughs> terrible about that uh, but the way i want to phrase this question is if would you give this book to your own kid if they were looking for something to read. I think it's a fantastic like read aloud book. I think if I had little kids, I think if you can sort of like keep it super simple, kind of top level um, and just read it and maybe not think about it too much. I do think there is something just in the language of it that's really kind of sweet and sentimental and nostalgic and all of those like warm, fuzzy things. I do think that if you are older and I think if you are I just I think like kids today which feels like such a weird phrase but I just think kids today are obviously exposed to so many different things and for good reason they have strong opinions about like what's right and wrong and I think that um at a certain age in 2020 a lot of kids would probably be very confused about what the hell is going on in this book Mm -hmm. so I think if if you have kids that are at an age where they can really just appreciate the language and and sort of like the simpler moments like when they list out all of the items in the nest or even the visuals of Mr. Popper marching around town with the penguins. Like I do think it's, it's sort of like a, an artifact in terms of its writing of a simpler, different time when this was like a crazy story. When, when you compare it to like the wild, like dystopian worlds that authors have to create today, it's kind of shocking. Like, you know, what constituted um, sort of like wild kidlet um in the 30s but yeah i mean the more i talk about it like the more messed up it is <laughs> um so i think it it would be hard to hand it to a kid who maybe could process some of that at a higher level nick uh your child which i imagine will be named captain cook when they come to you and uh ask papa what shall i read today will you be handing them mr popper's penguins um not willingly i guess um i like i'll you know i'll give it to them but (laughs) it's like um i i so i agree in terms of like there's you know for me reading it uh, i got i had that feeling like i was a kid again like just like in the the way that it the 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 narrative was structured and the way that the language felt kind of going through my mind uh I, i could probably get that from a lot of other kids books as well uh not for me for for my kids we were talking about my kids right that don't exist oh god um oh yeah kevin he's he's real he's real or her you know what maybe i'm gonna have a girl i'm gonna name her captain cook okay there you go it's very cool um and um 
I did think that was right. Just like a word aside, it's like I, I realized it was the 1930s and I don't really think there were like female captains at the time, but just sort of like the, yeah, okay, it's, if it's a captain, then it's got to be male. And, you know, we have Captain Marvel now, guys. Women can be captains. Also, I'm sure there's actual real women who are captains in the military and such. Anyway, I'm totally getting off track. Um, my my point is is that if I were to read it, I think I would treat it as an artifact of its time. And I, I would feel I wouldn't really want to be the parent that sort of like as I'm reading it and I get to a point where like, you know, I think that Mrs. Popper should react a different way. And I sort of changed the book into my own narrative. I would probably still read it, but I would really make a point to explain to my kids, you know, why dad has a problem with this narrative. Because if I do have daughters, Captain Cook, my daughter, um, I, I, you know, it, you know, again, if they want to grow up and, and they enjoy house cleaning and, and, and cooking and all of that, like that's really cool. I anything that's, that's just being a competent adult. It's not, it shouldn't have anything to do with being feminine or not, but I would definitely just want them to hit home that like this, this book is old. It's a product of its time. Like, you know, here's why this language might seem quaint, but really like think longer about how it's problematic. And then, so maybe in that way, it could be a useful tool, but sort of as a, a book to sit down and enjoy with my kids, I'd be, I'd feel a little ambivalent. Yeah. I have made it clear on this podcast. I don't want this show to just be like, here's what's wrong with the stuff from the past. And we've taken some time to kind of talk about that because I think it's really interesting discussion topics. Uh, but I, I still, I think I fall in the same line as all of you. If my child was, you know, given this as part of reading in school, that's fine. You know, great. Let's talk about it. If I was picking out a book for them, it would probably not be this, you know, if it's, it's, it's been a stack of library books. Sure. Let's go for it. Uh, but I think there's other stuff that, uh, that I don't, won't have to prompt so many discussions probably around it, or I don't know, stuff that like, as my first time reading it now, I'm like, well, that's, that's cute. If I have a really vivacious reader and they're just looking to consume anything and everything, yeah, sure, throw this on the list. But if it's a standalone on its own, I think there's other stuff that I would want to point my own kids towards. And we're not even going to talk about the movie because why would we? Uh, don't watch it. Um, before we wrap up and send everything out, I have one last question. If you could get an animal from somebody in the mail, if you could write to somebody and tomorrow the animal of your dreams would come live with you, all ethical implications aside, what animal do you guys want? Um, a cheetah. Frightening. That is frightening. My answer is so lame. I just, I want another golden retriever. I already have one and I really, I, I really am pushing for another puppy. My husband's not having it, but if one showed up in the mail, I mean, we're not going to send him or her away. We'll, we'll send you a letter with a, a puppy signed from Admiral Drake yeah. and just be like, we love your interest in puppies. Here's a puppy. Please take care of it. Yeah. I mean, my dog needs a friend, much like Captain Cook needed Greta. Yeah, exactly. It's the same. I'm going to be honest. It would totally be a penguin for me. They are cute. I love penguins so much, which also makes my feelings on this book a lot more confusing because I love penguins. Maybe that actually explains why I'm so like, how dare this man take them out of their... You're envious. Yeah. You're envious. That's helpful context. Honestly, like that sort of... That changes the way I viewed our whole conversation. Okay. Well, all right, people start with this part of the podcast <laughs> and listen to the rest of the show. I'm not going to make that clear in the notes. Allie, thank you so much for being on the show today. 
Thank you so much. I'm so glad that I that I could be on the ride for your first ever book discussion. Yes, it was it was great. I'm glad you brought it awesome. to us. Uh, for people who want to check out your work and you know the SSR podcast, and I, I know you do other stuff beyond that as well. Where can people find all that? Sure. So we have new episodes dropping of the podcast every Tuesday, pretty much on all of your favorite podcatchers. We're up to episode 112 now. So I guarantee you that there will be at least one book in our list that you read when you were a kid, um, and then you will get addicted. And I hope you fall down the rabbit hole and just listen to all things Babysitter's Club and Phantom Tollbooth and Nancy Drew and everything in between. Um, if you are a social media person, you can find me most of the time on Instagram at SSRpod, also on Twitter at SSRpod, and then on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast. I would love to have you over in the SSR community. Yeah, I'm going to back this podcast uh, entirely. You're going to learn some very interesting, great things, like that Freaky Friday is based on a book. Blew my mind learning. That. That's freaky. Yeah. Uh, but also, it's just a really great conversational podcast, and you get uh, some really great personal moments with your guests. So people really should check it out. Thank you. Nick, thanks for being on the show, bud. Uh, of course. Uh, you can find me on the... Uh, I didn't uh, on, on this Wait, what? Where can people find you? They can find me on this podcast um, and also at on Twitter at Nick Shermuksnis, S-E-R-M-U-K-S-N-I-S. And I'm legally not allowed to give out my art Instagram uh, because of the restraining order from Phil Rude. So I won't say it. But if I did say it, it would be Shazam underscore art. No, there's still not artwork. On I was going to say, if there's nothing on there, does it count as an art Instagram? <laughs> I mean, like, I look at other artists, but Phil Rude will still be very disappointed in me. No, it's fine. I think that's just Phil Rude's default uh, mode for most people. <laughs> if people want to find out what I'm up to, head over to Twitter, Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can also find me on Instagram, see what I'm up to there. We want to just say thank you so much, people, for listening. We do this show for you. We couldn't do it without you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time.